You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 53 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as regular listeners will know, I like to start with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners in London, Fairham, Portsmouth, Birmingham, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Manchester, Southampton, Cardiff, Ipswich, Nottingham, Guildford, Colchester and Chelmsford, all in the UK. Then we have new listeners from Leinster and County Wicklow in Ireland. In Hortsevold, Valdemarne, Vaucluse, Saint-Saint-Denis and Paris in France. In Mercia, Barcelona and Malaga in Spain. In Lisbon, in Portugal, in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague, all in the Netherlands. In Hesse, Bavaria, Holstein, Bremen and Berlin, all in Germany. In Copenhagen and Overstaden in Denmark. In Bern, in Switzerland. Vienna, in Austria. Vastrodotterland and Uppsala, in Sweden. Helsinki, in Finland. Zagreb, in Croatia. Serbia, Montenegro. Athens in Greece, Izmir in Turkey, Moscow and Saratovskia Oblast in Russia, Kampala in Uganda, Cape Town in South Africa, Maharashtra, Tamil Nadu and Karnataka in India, Manila in the Philippines, Tokyo in Japan, Incheon in South Korea, Adelaide, Melbourne and Perth all in Australia, Sao Paulo in Brazil, Kingston in Jamaica, our first listener in the Caribbean, so a big welcome to you, Quebec in Canada, and in the USA we have new listeners this week from San Francisco, Washington DC, Cincinnati, Minneapolis, New York, Dallas, Boston, Seattle, Portland, Houston, Miami, Los Angeles, Fort Lauderdale, Jacksonville, Buffalo, Battle Creek, Chicago, San Diego, Sacramento, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Charlotte and Greensboro. So as always a, a nice mix of new listeners right around the globe. So big welcome to all of you and of course a big shout out too to all my regular listeners. Really appreciate you taking 30 minutes or so out of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. I hope you find the show useful and entertaining and as always if you have any feedback please send it to me at uh, Podcasts at insurety.co.uk, that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, or go to the podcast page at www.insurety.co.uk forward slash podcast, and there you'll find all the details. I do read every single uh, response that we get and feedback. Unfortunately, I don't have time to respond to them all personally, but please be assured your feedback is read and, and taken into account when we're planning future episodes of the programme. And with that in mind, don't just give us feedback on what we've done, but what you'd like us to do. So if you have ideas for future episodes of the programme, please let us know. Or additionally, if there's people you'd like to interview, or whether you yourself work in the field of GDPR and you'd like to be interviewed on the programme, then please just let us know. Drop us a line to podcast.insurity.co.uk and we will do the rest. And now, uh, uh, in a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Okay, so coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have updated guidance from the ICO on dealing with children's data. We have news of a data breach at the Los Angeles Police Department. We then have 
news of another data breach, this time at the European Central Bank. And then probably the largest data breach we have this week is news that millions of fingerprint records have potentially been exposed in a data breach. It's been quite a week for data breaches. We also have one at Choice Hotel Group, a worldwide hotel group. And an update on a data breach which happened a while ago at Capital One in that the FBI have now arrested a suspect who they believe conducted that data breach. We then have news of an investigation into Facebook's voice transcription service where people can choose to have their messenger conversations transcribed and an inquiry into that service by the Irish Information Commissioner. And then we end this week with updated guidance from the UK ICO on the time period allowed for companies and organisations to respond to data subject, data access requests. And it's quite a fundamental change, so I recommend that you do take the time to listen to that part of this week's episode. So as usual, quite a mixed bag of articles. I hope it's something there of interest to everyone. And as always, we look forward to receiving any feedback you may have. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Now that GDPR has been in place for around 12 months, the European Data Protection Board has issued some indications of what it sees itself doing in the next 12 months, what its work plan is. And it seems to be that it's going to apply a lot of attention to children's data, which has perhaps not been so much under the GDPR spotlight in the first 12 months as other data. The European Data Protection Board says that it's looking to focus on children's data because it's aware of actions taking place in the US where the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act regulation, uh, which goes under the acronym of COPPA, has started to take effect and in the case of the popular app TikTok, then the TikTok app was fined $5.7 million for improperly collecting children's data. What it said is that it's going to issue a number of guidelines on children's data and that these guidelines will carry weight when it comes to enforcing the GDPR with respect to children. In addition, the ICO here in the UK has been working on an age-appropriate design code, which it says should be released soon. And obviously, once we have details of that code, we'll bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. However, the European Data Protection Board has already highlighted that there are a number of key areas to address when processing children's data. These include consent, the rights of the child and privacy notices. Let's look at those in reverse order. Let's look at privacy notices first. What they're saying is that privacy notices for children must be appropriate for the age of the child and inform them of their right to have their personal data erased or altered if it's wrong. That means that you should write your privacy notice in clear, simple language so it is easy to understand. If the primary audience of your website or service is children, then perhaps look at other ways of presenting the privacy notice. Use child-friendly ways of communicating the privacy notice, such as videos, um, diagrams, infographics, cartoons or icons. The key thing is to explain simply why you need the personal data of the child that you've asked for and what you plan to do with it. 
and explain what rights the child has and how to action them. And of course you might also want to put in there what rights the parent has and how the parent can action those as well. But it's crucial that the privacy policy is able to be understood by a child and not just by adults if the main focus of your service is to children or even a significant focus of your service is to children. To look a bit into GDPR on this, uh, Article 8 of GDPR states that conditions applicable to children's consent in relation to information society services. Children under 16 merit specific protection and remember in, in the UK that's not quite the case in the UK it's children under 13 but that specific protection means adopting measures to verify a child's age and then managing the consent in a meaningful and informed way. GDPR set the age at 16 across Europe but in the UK it is 13. Children have the same rights as adults regarding their personal data. These include the rights to access their personal data, to request rectification of any mistakes, to object to any online processing and to have their personal data erased. If your main focus is children you'll need to be able to prove that your consent from the child is valid, that it is informed and that it's granular and that you have methods in place to allow parents to exercise their rights in relation to their children. The controller is also required under Article 8, Paragraph 2 of the GDPR to make reasonable efforts to verify that consent has been given or authorised by the holder of parental responsibility in light of available technology. Understanding the lawful basis for processing personal data of a child is the key to this. This may require parents' dashboards or a parent portal to allow for the management of consent and verification. So, you know, you might need to have a situation where you have a very simple screen where the child signs in and then perhaps you have a dashboard where the parent can control in more detail what information their child does or does not receive from your service. The GDPR itself does not specify what specific mechanisms for age verification and parental consent are required. And this is one area which we hope that the European Data Protection Board and indeed our own ICO here in the UK will be offering some more clarification on in the weeks and months ahead. What's also not clear is what will or will not qualify as reasonable effort by a data controller to confirm that age-appropriate consent remains to be seen and tested. Many organisations do not have the resources to build consent management tools and existing solutions are few and far between. Of course, it's always a difficult question when you're looking at things like consent and how you gather consent as to whether it's better to buy in a solution or whether to have your own developers develop solutions in-house and perhaps that's something we'll look at in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show because that's quite a involved item in itself. But there are some things to keep in mind. If you're a US-based company but you process the data of children in the EU, then the children's rules of GDPR apply to your business. Ensure you're aware of what jurisdiction applies to what data that you hold because remember you might be holding data on children from any number of countries worldwide. Different national rules exist for processing and just because a service is topper compliant doesn't mean that it will be GDPR compliant and vice versa. Make sure you provide clear child-friendly notices explaining your data practices and very importantly ensure you can justify your lawful basis for processing data whether it's consent, legitimate interest, legal requirement, any of the other reasons that you have for processing data. And don't just rely on legitimate interest as an easy way out when consent is required. 
And then think about how you're going to verify a child's age and how you're going to verify that it's the parent giving permission. So it's quite a complex area that you need to apply some thought to. Just remember that proving that someone's old enough, i.e. over 13, in the UK over 16 in the rest of Europe, is not simply a case of asking for a credit card number. You've got to be a bit more sophisticated than that. So I think it's fair to say that compliance with GDPR for children's data is going to require some substantial shifts in your existing processes and technologies and obviously if that's an area where we can help you then we would be delighted to do so and if that's the case please do get in touch with us via our email at podcasts at insurity.co.uk and one of our team of experts will get back to you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. The Los Angeles Police Department has suffered a data breach with the personal information of some 2,500 Los Angeles Police Department officers and some 17,500 people who'd applied to join the Los Angeles Police Department records exposing a data breach. The department has been informed of a potential breach of records by the city's personnel department and it says it has notified all the officers concerned. A spokesman for the Los Angeles Police Department said the Los Angeles Police Department is working with our city partners to better understand the extent and impact of the data breach. We are also taking steps to ensure the department's data is protected from any further intrusions. It is understood that the compromised data includes officers' names, dates of birth, the last four digits of their social security number, and email addresses and passwords they set up when applying for the job. Spokesperson for the Los Angeles Police Department went on to say, we take the protection of personal data very seriously and the city has informed individuals who may have been affected. The city's information technology agency has added additional layers of security to guard against future events of this kind. For the city mayor, the mayor's office said police officers were notified out of abundance of caution after a potential hacker had contacted the city claiming to have the data. The city is investigating whether the data in question has been sold or exposed. Los Angeles Police Department is not the first to be hit by a data breach. There have been previous breaches in the city of Baltimore and the city of Cleveland. If we receive any details of any updates to this data breach from the Los Angeles Police Department, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Back in Europe, the European Central Bank uh, confirmed it had a data breach this week, which has involved attackers injecting malware and led to a potential loss of data. In a statement, the ECB confirmed that unauthorised parties had succeeded in breaching the security of its bank's integrated reporting dictionary website known as BIRD. The site, hosted by an external provider, appears to have been attacked back in December 2018, but the breach was only discovered when routine maintenance work was being undertaken on the website. A spokesman for the ECB said the BIRD website provides the banking industry with details on how to produce statistical and supervisory reports and stressed that it was physically separate from other external and internal European Central Bank systems. In confirming it, it closed down the BIRD site until further notice. 
The ECB also revealed that the personal data of some subscribers to the Bird newsletter may have been captured. It's understood that the data affecting 481 subscribers includes names, position, titles and email addresses, but not passwords or any financial information, according to the ECB. The ECB said that it was contacting any people who may have been affected. Based on the information that we have from the ECB, um, it seems to me to be unlikely that this breach will need to be taken any further, that the ECB will simply need to record it in its data breach register and that will be the end of the issue. But should there be any future development on this issue, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. It's worth noting perhaps that the ECB has quite a good record on data security. This is the first data breach that they've had since July the 24th, 2014. So for an organisation of their size, I think, as perhaps you'd expect from the European Central Bank, they have their data pretty well under control. And as I said, I think this relatively minor data breach um, will just need to be recorded. And apart from that, no further action taken. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. More than a million fingerprints and other sensitive data may have been exposed online by a firm specialising in biometric security. Researchers working with the cybersecurity firm VPN Mentor say they access data from a security tool called Biostar 2. Now, Biostar 2 is in use with thousands of companies worldwide, including the Metropolitan Police here in the UK, to control access to specific parts of secure facilities. Suprema, the firm that offers Biostar 2, said it was aware of the issue and was addressing it. A spokesman said, if there have been any definite threat on our products and or services, we will take immediate action and make appropriate announcements to protect our customers' valuable business and assets. According to VPN Mentor, the exposed data was discovered on the 5th of August and by the 13th of August was no longer accessible. So it appears that Suprema have indeed fixed the problem in Biostar 2 very quickly. As well as fingerprint records, the researchers say they found photographs of people, facial recognition data, names, addresses, passwords, employment history, and records of when they had access to secure areas within their place of employment. Since news of the data exposure broke, some have questioned which real fingerprint data was made available. Suprema said in a statement, it was aware of the reports of the breach and was taking them very seriously. It said, Supreme is investigating allegations in the press and will liaise with any appropriate third parties and or individuals as necessary. At this stage, it cannot make any further comment, but will, if appropriate, issue a further press statement in due course, including corrections of any erroneous assertions in the reports to date. Among the other UK organisations directly affected by the breach was Tile Mountain, a homeware retailer. Biostar 2 is only used at the company's head office in Stoke-on-Trent, Tile Mountain's IT director, Colin Hampson, said. Mr Hampson said that since the 26th of February 2018, Tile Mountain had not been an active client of Supremas and had instead stored biometric data on its own secure internal servers. Despite Tile Mountain not being an active client of Suprema, it is concerning that no contact was made to inform us that data may have been compromised. This prevented Tile Mountain from carrying out its obligations under GDPR. 
Mr. Hampson added. In total, 23 gigabytes of data containing nearly 30 million records were found exposed online. It's unclear at the moment from the information we have quite what each of these records constitute, whether it is just a fingerprint or whether it's additional information, but we will attempt to find out and report back in a future episode of the GDPR weekly show. It wasn't just the UK that was affected, but also other companies across the world, including Power World Gyms, a gym franchise in India and Sri Lanka, Global Village, an annual festival in the UAE, and Adeco Staffing, a Belgian human resources firm. When we approached the ICO for a comment, they said that they were aware of the reports about Biostar 2 and were currently making inquiries with Suprema to find out more information. It may be that there will be more information on this in the coming week, and should we hear any more information on this, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Worldwide hotel group Choice Hotels suffered a data breach this week with reportedly 700,000 records having been stolen by hackers. The hackers understood to have contacted Choice Hotels and demanded payment for the return of the records. It appears that the data was in an unsecured database belonging to the hotel franchise on July the 2nd this year and it appears that the unprotected database was subsequently indexed by the binary edge search engine. According to Choice Hotels the bulk of the records were only test information including the payment card, password and reservation fields. However, 700,000 records, it said, were genuine and contained information on guests such as names, email addresses and phone numbers, although it was keen to stress that there was no financial information in the real data which had been hacked. Choice Hotels said that they had received a ransom note. The message claimed that 700,000 records had been stolen and backed up elsewhere and demanded 0.4 0.4 Bitcoin, which is approximately 4,000 US dollars, for the return of the data. Now, it's not known where this note came from or whether the note is indeed genuine or whether the person issuing the note actually has the data, and that's something which is currently being investigated by the relevant authorities. Choice Hotels shut off access to the database on July the 2nd, and it appears that the system was exposed for a total of four days. Choice Hotels says that while it used the database, the database was actually operated by one of its partners and no internal Choice Hotels servers were accessed. The vendor was working with the data as part of a proposal to provide a tool, a Choice Hotels spokesman said. Due to the security lapse, the hotel franchise will not be working with the unnamed vendor in question. However, it did take a further nudge for the company to commit to launching an investigation. It should be stressed that it's not believed at this stage that any financial information or social security numbers have been involved in the data breach. But nonetheless, it, obviously given the number of people potentially involved, it is a serious data breach. And the ICO, as we understand it, has been informed of this data breach and presumably will be investigating in due course. The main concern with the data, given that its names and email addresses, is that the data may end up being used in phishing campaigns 
for example by sending emails which appear to be to Choice Hotel, from Choice Hotels and because the username and pass, uh, username and email address will be correct then it could fool people into thinking that the email was genuine and from Choice Hotels when in fact it was from a hacker or someone else purchased the names and addresses unethically. Choice Hotels weren't able to make a further statement but if we get further information on this from Choice Hotels or from the Information Commissioner's Office we will of course bring it to you as soon as we can in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. Regular listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show will be aware that we've been following the significant data breach at Capital One for a number of weeks now and it's emerged this week that the perpetrator or the alleged perpetrator we should say at this stage Paige Thompson has been arrested after reportedly talking online about taking the Capital One data. In court papers the US Department of Justice claimed Paige Thompson had terabytes of data in her possession. It said she'd intruded into services belonging to not just Capital One but over 30 other organisations including companies, schools and government agencies. Further charges against Ms Thompson could result from the evidence gathered during the search of her home. The FBI is currently working to identify all those who had data taken so it could alert them to the suspected theft. And it's understood the FBI is also looking into more information on the types of data which has allegedly been taken. The Department of Justice said there was no evidence yet that Ms Thompson had tried to sell the data she'd allegedly taken from Capital One. Ms Thompson is a former employee of Amazon and is alleged to have taken data from cloud servers there. The Chapter 1 data breach involved personal information for more than 106 million customers. Data taken included names, addresses and phone numbers of customers who had applied for credit cards and other financial services. Chapter 1 said after their own investigation they were certain that no credit card information had actually been taken in the breach. The legal document issued by the prosecutors in the US also adds that the theft has left Capital One facing more than 40 cases of legal action in the US and eight class actions in Canada. The Department of Justice filed its court papers in a bid to ensure that Ms Thompson stays in prison until the trial centred on Capital One data breach begins. A further hearing for the case is due to be take place in the next week or so. For her part, lawyers acting on behalf of Ms Thompson said that she had a history of mental illness and threatening behaviour that led to her being a flight risk. And so hence, presumably, um, why the Department of Justice has tried very hard to ensure that she's retained in custody until the court case takes place. Given the complexity of the court case, we would estimate it's unlikely that court case is going to take place this year. And so the court case itself probably won't happen until sometime in 2020. But whenever we do get an update on the court case, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Irish ICO, which is leading the investigations into Facebook for various uh, 
queries under GDPR. It's understood they currently have 11 active inquiries with Facebook. The Irish Data Protection Commission said on Wednesday that they were now investigating how Facebook handled data relating to the manual transcription of users' audio recordings. It's been reported that Facebook had been paying outside contractors to transcribe audio clips from users of its messenger service. According to a report covered in Bloomberg, the audio in question came from users who chose the option in Facebook Messenger to have their chats transcribed for them. The chats were transcribed by artificial intelligence and the contractors were brought in to check the accuracy of that artificial intelligence. Facebook, which has been facing broad criticism from lawmakers and regulators over its privacy practices, said in response to the story, much like Apple and Google, we paused human review of audio more than a week ago. Ireland's Data Protection Commission already has a number of probes ongoing into Facebook, and in addition to the probes directly into Facebook, also has two probes into WhatsApp and one into the other Facebook-owned subsidiary, Instagram. A spokesman for the Irish Information Commissioner said that further to our ongoing engagement with Google, Apple and Microsoft in relation to the processing of personal data in the context of the manual transcriptions of audio recordings, we are now seeking detailed information from Facebook on the processing in question and how Facebook believes that such processing of data is compliant with their GDPR obligations. The Irish regulator also gave an indication this week that across all of its investigations into Facebook, it's anticipating that the eventual financial penalty to Facebook will be in the region of between $1.5 and $2 billion. It's obviously quite a substantial hit, even for a company the size of Facebook, but of course it comes on the back of a $5 billion penalty from the American authorities for previous breaches at Facebook. One issue which is carrying forward from Facebook and across into Europe is the whole issue of companies choosing where their base regulator is or in the case of large organisations being told where their base regulator is for the purposes of GDPR. And this has caused a dispute between the Irish and French data regulators, the French data regulator CNIL, after CNIL imposed a 50 million euro fine on Google, which at the time was the largest fine to be imposed under GDPR. The Irish regulator is now saying that the French regulator should not have imposed that penalty because Google's European head office is in Dublin and therefore it should have been up to the Irish regulator to fine Google. And indeed, if the Irish regulators' planned penalties for Facebook are indicative, then it looks like Google may have actually got off quite lightly with a 50 million euro fine from Senior. Senior, for their part, are saying they don't accept the argument in the case of the data breach for which they imposed the penalty on Google because the actual part of Google which was subject to that data breach, does not have a European presence, and therefore they claimed that the penalty was right to be enforced by them as it affected French citizens. It's the first time that we've had an example of information commissioners across different 
countries arguing over which countries should have the right to collect the penalty. But perhaps it's something we will see more of, and I suspect something we will see far more of, once we get past the 31st of October and but we actually have Brexit in place here in the UK. So it's something that we're going to keep a very careful eye on and bring you updates in future episodes. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally this month, the ICO here in the UK has finally issued clarification on the time period available to organisations and companies for complying with data subject access requests. Now, there's been some confusion whether the period is one month or whether it's 30 calendar days, which is certainly what we've been teaching in our training because in the original uh, discussions we had with the ICO, it was made clear it was 30 calendar days. However, a number of things that come out from the ICO recently have suggested that their thought process has changed to make it one calendar month. And they've now confirmed a small but important change to the time limits for responding to subject access requests under GDPR. And it's twofold. The first is, is that the time period starts from the day on which you received the request. So the day you received the request is day one, not day zero. Therefore, for example, if the request is received on the 3rd of September, the deadline for responding will be the 3rd of October, rather than the 4th of October, as previously understood. However, there's also been a couple of other changes to take into account end of month. So let me give you a very simple example. Um, If someone made a data subject access request on the 31st of January and it's not a leap year, then you have to comply with that request by the 28th of February. Likewise, if it was on the 31st of May, you have to reply by the 30th of June. The exception to that, and again this is where it gets a little bit complicated, the period starting on the day that you received the request holds whatever day that falls on. So even if that falls on a bank holiday or it falls on Christmas Day or Boxing Day or Easter Monday, Easter Sunday, then the period still starts from then. So if you received a request on the 25th of December, you have to reply to it by the 24th of January. However, If the 24th of January itself fell on a bank holiday, so the date you have to respond falls on a bank holiday, then you don't have to respond until the following day. I hope that makes sense. It is some clarification. Um, If you are a member of our ongoing GDPR support service, then we will be issuing a document detailing these uh, changes to the processing period for subject access requests and we'll be looking to circulate that out to all of our members within the next few weeks. If you're not a member of our GDPR support service and you'd like to know more about it, then please drop us a line to podcast.insurity.co.uk and we'll get back to you with the details and how much it costs, etc. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.